Pastor Walker, for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, my name is Matt Duransky, and uh, I spoke last week. I'll be speaking this week, and I want to thank Pastor Walker again for uh, being willing to take the risk of <laughs> sharing, sharing the pulpit with me. I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to open God's Word uh, among uh, all of us and to uh, just uh, rest in the things uh, that he has said to us. We're in the middle of this series, we're almost at the end of the series actually, of seeing through the eyes of faith. Pastor Walker introduced uh, this series, I guess it was four weeks ago now, and then <clears throat> he followed that introductory sermon up with seeing myself as God sees me, and then last week I spoke on seeing my country as God sees it, and today we're gonna talk about seeing my neighbor as God sees them, and then next week, Pastor Walker will wrap it up uh, with seeing eternity as God sees it. Let me invite you, let me uh, uh, remind you that uh, next week would be a great time. It's always a great time to invite your friends and your neighbors, but next week would be a wonderful time because the gospel's going to go forth loud and clear uh, next week. <clears throat> We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to pray for us. <clears throat> Father God, I pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that you would open our heart. May we see Jesus today through your word in the power of God the Holy Spirit. Use this time Use me for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. <clears throat> Seeing my neighbor as God sees them, uh, you're familiar with this passage, of course. There's the story of the Good Samaritan in this, pa in this pa passage. And so uh, I came up with this picture, but you know, I really don't like this picture. Uh, <clears throat> I don't like this picture because it's too nice. It's too friendly. I like this picture. It's not a very colorful picture. It's not a very happy picture. But it's the picture that we're given in this passage. And it more closely depicts a picture of our neighbors. Uh, I've, I've had some rough neighbors. I've had some good neighbors. But I lived in a townhouse before I moved down here. I lived in a townhouse up in northern Alexandria. It had paper-thin walls. And, and uh, there were two boys who were left there every weekend when mother went away to stay with her boyfriend. And uh, one was in college and one was in high school. And they had parties all weekend long. Uh, and the the police actually told me one time that they had never seen more empty beer cans in one resident than residence than they had seen in that house. They had fights in the parking lot so that the next morning before I could go to work, I had to clean the blood off my car, literally. <clears throat> um, I've had a neighbor who 
was shooting at his children and they ran to my house to take refuge. And my dining room became uh, SWAT team command center. Uh, I've had a neighbor uh, try to burn his own house down and barricade himself in his house. And once again, the SWAT team is crawling through the bushes in my house uh, as they're trying to deal with the situation. It's not always smiles. It's not always pretty. And so I want us to understand that up front. So I changed the picture on my, on my opening slide. Um, <clears throat> if you've given presentations or you've been to uh, courses on how to give presentations, you've probably heard the term bluff, B-L-U-F. It stands for bottom line up front. So today I'm going to kind of give you the bottom line up front. I'm going to give you the key points. We're going to talk about the parable a little bit in the middle of the two key points. Uh, and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at the entire account in Scripture. So you're going to get four points, and then we're going to talk about the story within the story. Now keep in mind that I'm not implying that the scriptural account that's given in Luke chapter 10 is fictional because it's not. It's, it's the truth. This lawyer came to Jesus and he asked Jesus these questions. But as part of that interaction, Jesus also used a parable, an earthly story with a heaven, heavenly meaning. Uh, and he used that parable to talk about uh, being a neighbor. Uh, and he used that story in response to the question by the lawyer, who is my neighbor? <clears throat> so we're going to get four points and we're going to talk about a story with a story. So here we go. The first point I want to make is that God loves my neighbor. God is love. We see that twice in 1 John chapter 4. We see that love is from God in 1 John chapter 4. He's called a God of love in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's referred to as the love passage. We get a description of what, God look, what God's love is like. And so even though 1 Corinthians 13 is imploring us as believers to love in a way that God loves, we also get a description here of what God's love looks like. And of course, God's love is most clearly demonstrated and reflected in the person of Jesus Christ. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God takes the initiative. God's love takes the initiative. For God so loved the world. That's everybody. God takes the initiative. So in loving in this way, we see God taking the initiative. <clears throat> In 11th grade Bible, uh, where I teach here at Grace Christian, we use these four things uh, to further characterize God's love. Benevolence, mercy, grace, and patience. Sometimes we use the word kindness synonymously with the word benevolence. I like benevolence because if you, if you look at how that word is derived and where it comes from, it, it's derived from doing things that are good volitionally and so that means that we are taking the initiative to do good things God delights in doing good to others but you know ultimately our language is insufficient to describe God's love God's love is demonstrated Christ demonstrated 
God's love. Even in the Koine Greek of the New Testament, where they have four words for love, words can't adequately describe the greatness of God's love, the depth of God's love. God is love. God loves you. God loves me. God loves my neighbor. And I'm going to assume for the sake of this discussion today that we're all going to understand that my neighbor is whoever I come in contact with. My neighbor is whoever crosses my path. My neighbor, in this context, is not just the people who live beside me. My neighbor is not just my coworker. My neighbor can be someone who's operating the cash register as I'm checking out. My neighbor can be the person driving in the car next to me. My neighbor is anyone with whom I come in contact. Point number two. This one is tough and tricky. God loves my neighbor and me because he supremely loves himself, or he loves himself supremely. Before you get too nervous, I'm going to add, that's okay. It's okay. Don't apply your ethic to ethic of God. You see, in this passage, if you look at verse 27, the man answers Jesus and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds to him, You've answered correctly. That's the summation of the law. The first commandment says... You shall have no other gods before me. So if the first commandment says you shall have no other gods before me, and the summation of the law says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, then if God doesn't do that, he's unrighteous. God's righteousness is the fact that God keeps his holy standard. He always keeps his holy standard. So there are a couple of sub-points under here. We're created in his image for a personal, intimate love relationship with him. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them if you go earlier in the Genesis record on the fifth day you see God creating the fish and the birds and it says he created them according to their kinds It doesn't say he created them in his image. If you go to the fifth day, you see him creating the beast that walk on the earth. And he created them according to their kinds. He did not create them according to his image. 
We are created in the image of God. John Piper explains it this way. The image of God, Imago Dei, is that in man which constitutes him as he whom God loves. Follow the logic here. God loves himself supremely. You, me, your neighbor are created in the image of God. And the image of God is the part that constitutes us being loved by God. We are loved by God because he loves himself supremely. And we're created for relationship with him. Because we're created in his image. We're unlike any other thing that's created. Our morality, our personality, our ability to reason, our ability to enter into relationships that are based on love and commitment. There are many, many ways that we are different than any other created thing because we're created in the image of God. We're created to bring him glory. We're created to reflect the image of God so that God will get praise. Now, I don't want to paint a picture here of God as being some needy, far-off person because God is self-sufficient. He doesn't have any needs. But God delights. He is honored when we trust and obey him when we live in the context of this relationship reflecting the image of God. He is honored. He's glorified. And we're fulfilling our purpose. We're created in the image of God for this intimate, personal relationship where He is loving us. He is loving us first. And we are loving Him in return. He is glorified through that relationship. God loves my neighbor and me because he loves himself supremely and he's most glorified when we love him best. So how do we love him best? When we love him like Jesus. Let's look at the story in the story. Starting in verse, <clears throat> verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, basically two days' worth of salary, and gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
that's the story within the story. It's a story about this guy. That's me. That's you. That's your neighbor. And that's just a human depiction of me. It's designed to carry me to the spiritual, which is far, far worse, which is far more dire. I referred to Romans 5, 8 earlier. While we were still sinners, my sin separates me far, far from God, farther away, far worse than any human sickness separates me from my health, than any pummeling, any robbery. But a parable is an earthly picture, or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so it's to take us to the spiritual. And I don't want us to miss this, and this is why I put all this stuff up front. I don't want us to miss the fact that this story is about Jesus. The guy that stopped was a Samaritan, and even though it doesn't say so in the story, it's assumed that the guy laying on the road here, beaten, bloodied, and robbed, is a Jew. And we all know the story that Samaritans hated Jews, and vice versa. In fact, when we get to the end of this story, you'll see that the lawyer, who was a Jew, couldn't even say the word Samaritan. And so the Samaritan did these things. He saw. He didn't just see. He saw. We see like this. But we really see like this. He saw. He stopped. He comprehended. He wasn't whistling through the graveyard. That's one way to put it. He stopped. Think about how this applies to Christ. He sacrificed. He left the glories of heaven. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his resources. He took risk. He took personal risk. I mean, here's a place where somebody's been robbed. What's to keep him from being robbed? He took financial risk. He left the innkeeper with an open checkbook. You notice that? He said, here's some money, and oh, by the way, here's an open checkbook. He sacrificed his ego. This is a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And then he supported and he sustained. He didn't just rescue the fellow and say, great, nice to have rescued you. He worried about his sustenance. He worried about what was going to come after. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on a cross for me, for you, for your neighbor. Please, please, don't lose sight of that. In fact, that is really the message here in this whole scriptural account. Make sure that the main thing is the main thing. And the main thing is that we were created for a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and that can only happen because of what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin and for, the na- for your neighbor's sin. Let's not lose sight of that. Here's what's cool. We were talking about sustaining. He's most glorified when we love him best, which is like Jesus, but we love him with his own love. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since our sin problem has been dealt with, the sin that separates me from God, I have been declared righteous, and now I have peace with God. I'm in harmony with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into his grace. That's not grace in the hereafter. That is grace right now. We have access to his grace right now. God has given us stuff right now. He's given us God the Holy Spirit right now. We stand in his grace right now. We have the hope of glory right now. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We can rejoice in our sufferings right now because we know that God is in control. And that we have his grace through God the Holy Spirit to live above our circumstances. We can rejoice in suffering because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. He gives us his love. Think about that for a minute. He doesn't want you to love your neighbors with your love. He wants you to love your neighbors with his love. That's why he gave it to you. It's part of the grace package. Not grace church, but the grace package. It's part of the grace church package too. But God gives you his love. He gives you himself. And if he gives you himself and God is love, then you've got God's love. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. He takes the initiative. We love him. We love others because he first loved us. He took the initiative. He showed us what love is. Our love is conditional. A lot of times our love starts with like. And then it progresses to love, correct? Sometimes people even go through a wedding ceremony and they promise to love someone until death does them part. And then they fall out of like because 
you don't live life with them the way they expected you to live life with them. And all of a sudden, until death does, me part, does you part, doesn't mean physical death. It means the death of my love. Therefore, I'm going to leave you. God's love doesn't die. God's love doesn't fail. God's love isn't conditional. And so what is God the Holy Spirit doing in us? He is conforming us to the person and the character of Jesus Christ in the here and now and in the real world. We are predestined, as a matter of fact, to that end. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Our church motto builds off of this entire concept. We want to live and love like Jesus and help others to do the same. And we cannot live and love like Jesus under our own power. We can only do it through God's power with his love. But here's an interesting thing. In Matthew chapter 25... You see the sheep and the goats judgment <clears throat> and the question gets asked, Lord, when have we ever given you drink when you were thirsty? When have we ever given you food when you were hungry? When have we ever given you clothing when you were naked? And he replies, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When we love God, we love other people. When we love other people with his love, we love God. It's all about the relationship. I love my neighbor because God loves me I love God, and God loves my neighbor. We used the first part of this passage last week when we were talking about seeing my nation as God sees it. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's seeing through the eyes of faith. That's seeing me, that's seeing you, that's seeing my neighbor, that's seeing my country, that's seeing the world, that's seeing life. We don't see it according to the flesh anymore because we walk in the Spirit of God. Our eyesight gets changed. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. We see everything differently. We see creation differently. Now, to pick up on the part that we didn't read last week, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled. Reconcile is to restore a relationship to what is supposed to be. So all of this is from God, who through Christ restored our relationship with him, with God, and gave us the ministry of restoring relationships between mankind and between God. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message 
of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God wants to love your neighbor through you. In fact, that is your ministry, is to let God love your neighbor with his love that he has given you. Let him love your neighbor through you. That's the ministry of reconciliation. So this relationship that I have because I'm created in the image of God for this personal and intimate love relationship with him and he took the initiative and he loved me first and he gives me his love and I love him back with his life. That's a glimpse into what eternal life is all about and eternal life is in the here and now. Eternal life is not just something that's in the sweet by and by. Eternal life begins now. This life begins now. This relationship begins now. And when I live in this relationship with God, this vertical relationship with God, because I am created in his image to love him, then this vertical, this horizontal relationship also becomes part of the relationship. Because I'm an ambassador for Christ with God making his appeal through me. Christian writer John Bloom said this, if we love God most, we will love others best. Don't get the cart before the horse. Don't get the cart before the horse. That's the primary message of this passage that we're looking at. Fourth point, when I see my neighbor as God sees them, I will love them as God loves them. Will, bold, italics, underline. 1 John chapter 4. Now some of you may say, well, wait a minute, 1 John chapter 4 is written to believers. Agapeo is the word used here for love for believers. Guess what? If I go back to Luke 6, and I see Jesus saying, love your enemies. It's the same word. Agapeo. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's strong enough, but it gets stronger. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. And you can say, so that he might live through us. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the God-satisfying sacrifice. Big Bible word there, propitiation. For our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love 
is perfected in us. When I see my neighbor as God sees them, I will love my neighbor. I will. And God has given me, because God has given me himself and his love. So if I am indwelt and infilled by God the Holy Spirit, the God who is love, I will love my neighbor. This is a picture of eternal life also. Eternal life in the here and now. It's this vertical relationship. And because God loves me, and I love God, and God loves my neighbor, it's also this horizontal relationship with God's love flowing through me. It's eternal life in the here and now. So let's finish up. So the lawyer comes to Jesus at the, beginning, at the beginning of this chapter, verse 25 says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. It's just the wrong motive. How do I know it's the wrong motive? Because the Bible says so. He stood up to test him, right? I also know it, though, by looking at the words. Let's think about the words for a minute. And this was from a lawyer who deals in words. Okay? What shall I do? Stop. To inherit. What do you do to inherit something? You don't do anything. You don't do anything. Somebody else has done it. Somebody else has earned it. Bad words. But you know, these words reflect a couple of things. They reflect that he was probably thinking about the prevailing answer of the day. I phrased it this way. If I asked that question during the day on the streets of Jerusalem, I would probably get, be a good Jew, do the best you can, try to do what the rabbis say, and you've got it. You will have done this. You see, his words, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, implied a context of, A, I can work for it, and it's something that I have to work for, and B, that it's somehow my heritage. It's somehow hereditary. This is the same answer that you would hear at St. Charles Mall if you went and asked the question, by the way. At least this would be a very common answer. Be a good Christian. Or sometimes it starts out this way. Well, I was raised Catholic. Or I was raised Baptist. But it's the same thing right? Be a good Jew. And so, I guess I just kind of try to do the best I can, and uh, God loves everybody. God is love, and God's going to let everybody into his kingdom. The prevailing answer of the day. So Jesus, being the ultimate in litigation, 
and debate, being the author of the law this guy was asking him about, uh, just keeps the whole context in terms of the law. And he says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And what does the lawyer say? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And what does Jesus say to that answer? He says, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. That answer for the lawyer was a big uh uh-oh. This is the first time, the first of two times, that Jesus is going to bring the lawyer to the point of saying what we sang this morning, and I didn't know we were going to sing this. I lay me down. I'm not my own. I belong to you alone. Letting go of my pride, giving up all my rights. You see, Jesus was trying to bring the lawyer to the point of the man on the road. You need to come saying, I can't do this on my own. I can't love my neighbor like God loves my neighbor on my own. I got nothing. We come to him empty-handed. We've laid ourselves aside. I lay me down. Giving up on my pride letting go of my rights. But you know, as brilliant as this is, the lawyer wouldn't let go of his pride. He wouldn't let go of his rights. He knew because the love your neighbor as yourself passage comes from Leviticus chapter 19. He knew that God's law, and this isn't necessarily intended for you to read it, but God's law is a mirror of God's character. Here are 13 ways that this fellow on this chart laid out from Scripture. And he had read Psalm 119, he had read Psalm 19, and he understood that God's law was a reflection of God's character. But he wasn't ready to admit the fact. Interestingly enough, that the passage that was referred to last week in 1 Peter is also in Leviticus 19. You shall be holy, for I am holy. He knew that. If he knew love your neighbor as yourself, then he knew what the rest of Leviticus 19 said. But he wouldn't let go. He wouldn't let go of his pride. And so desiring to make himself righteous, desiring to declare himself righteous, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's saying, let's lower the bar. 
Let's see if we can lower the bar and I can get out of this logical cul-de-sac I've driven down now. But he also knew better than that. Because if you go to Leviticus 19, where it says, love your neighbor, it also talks about how to live and treat all of these other people. So he knew that his neighbor was everyone with whom he was going to come in contact. You can just take your people and strangers and that does it. That's the world, right? He knew that. He knew it couldn't be narrowed down. He knew it shouldn't be narrowed down. But he wouldn't let go of his pride. So Jesus tells him the story. And then Jesus brings him for the final time to the point of the real question. Are you willing to let go of your pride? Are you willing to be the man on the road? Are you willing to humble yourself following the example of Christ? And be obedient unto death. So that God the Holy Spirit can make you alive again unto God. So that God can love through you. So that God the Holy Spirit can invade your life. So that you can live and love like Jesus. Go. Do likewise. Pastor Walker. Thank you, Matt. Go and do likewise. If you don't know the person of Jesus Christ in a personal way where he's transforming your life, we would love to have that conversation with you. But if you do know Christ and you have a neighbor, how many have a neighbor? Come on now. Yeah, every hand should go up here. We all got neighbors. Uh, we have great opportunities coming up for you to connect them with the message of God. Next week, I'm going to finish up this series, and we're going to be looking at Revelation 21 together. What does heaven really look like? So next week, we're going to talk about heaven together. And the following weeks are the Christmas series as we make our way towards Christmas Eve, all of which are great opportunities to say, come, join me, hear what God has to say. It's one way to connect the word to our neighbors. I want to thank Matt again for taking this very difficult passage and doing a phenomenal job. Let's pray and then we will be uh, released. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us in the person of your son, Jesus. We will spend eternity understanding all that is ours in him. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have somebody on our hearts and somebody on our minds right now that the Holy Spirit is putting the finger on in our lives. Father, we can't help thousands until we help one, and I just pray that you would give us one that we might be burdened for, that we might be praying for, that we might be serving and loving and connecting. Thank you, Father. And the people of God said, God bless you. Have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>